Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. With me today, I have Edie Conried Jacobs. And I reached out to you because Bill Strickland said, he always tells me, or people will say, here's another friend of mine you should interview because they have a really interesting story. And all he told me was, ask her about the Stardust disc malfunction. And so I reached out and he said, yes. <laughs> so we just had a pre-interview talk. And so I, we're going to get into like how you started dancing, where you grew up and all that. But I want to start with that story because we want to catch people in the beginning in case they don't hear the whole okay, thing. Okay. So can you say what show you were in and also the context? Because I think it's really important of what was happening in management at that time around this story just makes it even more like part of a movie. All right. Um, okay. So it was the Stardust show uh, that was... Uh, Ale, I'm pretty sure it was Ale Lido which, uh, started in 78. Um, so I, I remember it was my first show and rehearsals started in the fall of 77. And I think we opened, I want to say we opened the week between Christmas and New Year's. Um, and so it was really exciting for me to see, you know, a brand new show with new costumes coming in. It was gorgeous. And um, at that time, uh, the Stardust, I think it was like the last years of Vegas being sort of Vegas, um, where it was possibly a, a mafia run city. And the Stardust was run by um, a company called the Argent Corporation. Our director of entertainment at that time was uh, a Chicago, for lack of a better word, a known mobster by the name of Frank Rosenthal. And um, he was uh, director of entertainment. And um, so it was kind of interesting. I, I think that somebody who really didn't have any kind of showbiz background, to my knowledge, I think he was part of the Stardust because he started their sports book, their whatever, racing betting. I, you know, I'm a person who went to Vegas and never gambled, had no <laughs> idea how it worked. But um they made him, because I don't think he could have a gaming license, they made him director of entertainment, to my knowledge. So it was sort of an interesting time where um, these guys that were executives with the hotel spent what I thought was a weird amount of time with no entertainment background. They were sort of around the show a lot. Maybe that's, maybe I was naive and just didn't get how Vegas worked. But I remember thinking it was very weird that somebody who had no entertainment background was backstage a lot and yeah. whatever. <laughs> so um, it was an exciting time. And um, again, it was a really beautiful show. And, and I think I was just so thrilled to be there. Um, what else can I tell you, Sherry? <laughs> well, I think it's like, you know, and you're, this is your first show, right? Right, right. So you come in, because I remember just watching the show Vegas and kind of thinking, okay, Vegas is about a lot of sparkles, maybe Dean Martin and Frank Sinatra and showgirls. But when I moved down there, it, you know, to be young and just out of school, figuring out how to be a professional dancer, and then you come right into mafia right. and run. And yeah, so it's just interesting, like, what was, what was even your perception of you're seeing this beautiful show, but kind of paying attention to what's going on around you? Well, it took, you know, the, the rehearsals were 
I want to say I didn't really pay attention to what was going on in the hotel until the show had been running a few months. I was just thrilled and had never gone through a rehearsal period. That was really interesting because I want to say Bluebell was there for weeks and um, Don Arden that I'm sure every Bluebell you've ever talked to can tell you stories about um, yes, a lot of mean like words. Me. That mean, mean man. Um, I remember being mortified. I think it was the week before we opened and over the mic, I think it was a top hat number. And I swear all those shows must have opened with it, you know, the first production number right. of a top hat and cane number. And um, just being so humiliated because I think it's like, you know, already we're into the 12th hour of rehearsal. The show's opening in a few days. And he screams, Edie, stop counting. And oh. <laughs> I just about fainted. I just <laughs> wanted to crawl in a hole. It was one of those things where, you know, the whole cast is coming up over the stairway and descending all in time. And, you know, it's now like midnight and we're, we're trying to finish up rehearsal. And he caught me counting steps because by now, I, you know, I'm just thinking they're going to fire me. They're going to fire me. It's just awful. But I did fine. I did fine. But it was one of the most embarrassing encounters for me to be yelled at by name in front oh, by, of yeah yeah anyway he told he told people their face looked like a can of worms flushed himself down the toilet the the things i've heard because i at the audition he didn't yell at me but he yelled at people next to me and even standing there in that fire in the in the stream of that was overwhelming like please don't let it be me please don't let it be me yeah and so well, but to be called out by name in that big of a cast it only happened once i, I straightened up my act and i did okay <laughs> and you didn't get fired I did. Yeah. And I want to say, you know, I think by six months in, into the show, I was doing swing position and then, you know, for, for all the bluebells. Um, and then I got understudy for the principals and that was what led to this funny story or not funny, but semi-scary. <laughs> Harrowing. <laughs> Harrowing. Thank you. So um, anyway, uh, the first year was fun and, and like all shows, you know, once you start doing it, what is it, six nights a week? I want to say a year into it, it's like, oh, this is as normal as showing up at any job that can be routine. And but for the first six months to nine months, it was very exciting, and I enjoyed it and whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I digress. Where are we? Uh, tell about the disc because I've. When Bill said about the disc being stuck, I pictured it like the other stories I've heard or what I've seen is it can, comes down and doesn't go back up. And they're just, the audience is waiting and they're stuck hanging over the audience. So that's what I thought yours was, but yours is a lot, uh, a lot more scary than that. Um, uh, so it was a week where all the principals got taken to a holiday trip to Honolulu and how odd for all, all, all the understudies to be doing the principal parts at the same time. And it was a week long trip. So it was like the last night of, of us doing the understudies, we understudies. And I was um, in the, one of the, the opening, uh, the opening of the show, two girls, two principals come down on a disc from the center of the showroom on a disc it's a small platform that's maybe like four feet wide it comes down on cables and I remember um the gal next to me Donnie Gilbranson if Donnie ever listens hi Donnie um what a memory so the disc comes down we step off we do our little quick dance routine we step back on the disc starts ascending 
and it's slowly going up. The curtains to the show are opening. One of the principals is out there on the center stage. And just as Donnie and I are reaching up to the ceiling, we're a couple feet before we're actually going into the hole that houses the disc, I see the cables start vibrating and plaster starts falling. I can, you know, there's a spotlight on us and I see like, what a, what it was like snowflakes falling. Oh my gosh. And we look up and part of the, 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 trick or the illusion of the the disc coming down besides the, the the topless girls and all their shimmery jewels and all there was a small um structure a statue that was supposed to look like the eiffel tower and it was probably five or six feet tall and it was suspended on a cable above us well that had as it was supposed to be going back up through the hole to the ceiling somehow it had swung free and was wedged in the hole and the disc was still coming up under it with us on it. And I can see this metal structure just starting to crumple and twist and it's metal. And my first thought is, oh my God, we're going to get impaled on this metal thing, yeah. metal tubing. And um, oh. we're almost into the hole where the disc goes in. And Donnie next to me grabs for the ladder. I think she gets her hands on the next to the last rung. I get my hands on the last rung, and by now I can hear stage hands going, move this thing. They're trying to get that structure out of the way. And all of a sudden, the disc drops out from underneath us. And we're just hanging there, oh my hanging on the ladder. And the disc didn't totally drop and hit the stage, thank God, because it probably would have hit some of the dancers, but it was just suspended by one cable. And I just remember um, like time slows down when just like if you've been in a car accident, time slows down and you start thinking about the most strange things. Like, how do I get out of this? I, I, I think I know what to do, but I, and I remember looking down and one of the boy dancers and I'll never forget. Um, I, I'm sure his name was, was Jim. And I think his last name was Jim Carey is standing below us with his, arms extended like he was holding a serving platter like, <laughs> like I'll catch you I'll catch you girls if you fall and I remember having Both this of you. thought like please move please if I fall I don't want to take you out with me and um just thinking oh but how gallant what a sweet gesture like all these thoughts are going through my brain <laughs> while you're hanging and, yeah just you know and it's a matter of seconds but enough to think oh please move please please and then my next thought was now Donnie is actually being able to scramble up the stair, up the ladder. And I think, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Okay. So the people below me are going to see me do this, but I start swinging my legs and get <laughs> my right leg hooked up into the hole. I like got it hooked on the inside. Are you so like I in a split? Pull myself up. And I think, oh my gosh, they're seeing a really bad shot of me. <laughs> so I'm in a G string and this can't oh, be pretty. And, oh. you know, a bluebell, a bluebell should never appear that way, right? You know, <laughs> there's a certain amount of like, oh, we're supposed to be pretty and not grungy. And, right. <laughs> but, and I crotch remember shots. thinking, well, it's a bad crotch shot, but what am I going to do? <laughs> so we managed to get pulled up and the stagehands are mortified and shaking. And I'm thinking, oh, these guys are probably worried because they might, they might lose a job tonight or 
had something really bad happen, somebody would get fired or worse. Anyway, we, we managed to get back down to the stage and they have stopped the show by now. And those four principals that should have been in the show, but were on their last night of vacation and Frank Rosenthal are now backstage on the stage. And one of them says, oh my gosh, I looked at Kathy next to me. Kathy was one of the principals and, and said, oh, that could have been us, Kathy. And I just remember thinking, oh, I wish it had been. Right. Not, not to be mean, but, but no. it was like, oh. anyway, <laughs> it, it, it was a memorable story, like a night I will not forget. And, um, you know, were you attached to anything or were you just hanging by your strength of your arms? The strength of my arms. And I probably should have been lifting weights because that's why I had <laughs> to like, use my leg to hoist myself up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because I think for some of them, like the disc that we had in Hello Hollywood, Hello, they had a, like a seatbelt. And then they were strapped to that. So then if the bottom fell, I don't know if it'd be worse to be strapped in or not. I, I'm not sure. It'd probably be just wow. as bad. Um, because all it had was like a, maybe a, a two and a half or, you know, a 30 inch metal rod with just a loop for your hand. Like you could steady yourself. Should it vibrate or, you know, right. you just put your hand through like a dog leash, you put your hand through yeah. the loop and just hang on and, and just look pretty and wave with the other hand. So there was nothing to keep you like tethered to it. You had to step off when it hit the floor, you stepped off, you did a little dance routine, waved your chiffon scarf, got back on, rode up to the ceiling again. Um, and I remember, it's funny too, after that having happened to me, and I later went to Reno, um, I think I never, I always used to think, oh, the covered dancers had to do that, that number in the circus number where there were people suspended over the tiller line. And I never, yeah, the balloons I never want the to do that. I never want to do that. Ever. Did you ever do it again? Or was that your only time? Um, I, I think by that time I was a swing up there in Reno. And I finally said, sure, I'll try that. But at, at when I first saw that there was girls and harnesses on cables, and I remember thinking, no, I don't think I want to do that. In fact, I remember um, the space number in Reno that had that entire. Yeah, uh, the living curtain. The living curtain. That came I came on that one. That was terrifying. That was I, terrifying I, I at first. Say, yeah, yeah. Crazy. Lindy, I have Gist, to Lindy Gist and Miriam told a story at Hello Hollywood when we would load in for the uh, Calliope down in the basement. Uh -huh. And they had the huge mirrored gold elephants. Uh -huh. That in the beginning they had, I think it was on their head that they had a saddle kind of thing they sat on and they had a seatbelt. And the, the wagons, I guess how the, oh, the floors open, didn't open. And so the elephants, if the elevator was going up, like you said, and the floors not opening, it just crushed. Just crushed. And oh. they weren't, they were not on that night because they would have probably died because they, they would have been strapped and they couldn't, they could not get off without dressers helping them. So they were out that night because of something. So they took the dancers out of that after that, because yeah, yeah it's amazing. It's amazing. They did work all the time. So when they didn't, you're like, oh, our life. I'm just trying to picture you swinging. Were you over a passerella or were you yes, over the stage? The so, you're, so the audience no, is like so, really. So we're out in the audience because the passerella, let me think about this. The passerella extended from center stage and had ramps on the side and it joined out. So, so it was like the audience was in a pit. The passerella was out okay. in the house beyond them. And then the bigger booths, the better seats in the house were elevated but very close to the passerella and, and there were tables right up against it. And I'm thinking, you know, it could have been cement with, with dance floor on top of it. I don't know, but have we fallen? 
it would have been bad. Good. It would. And I, I don't know. It seemed to me that I had heard that. Do you remember an act by the name of Jerry DeWitt? Um, yes. Oh, yes. He heard I himself. I want to say he had a fall from an aerial line and, and yeah, and, didn't know, end and well. Or, but yeah. And so it wouldn't have been good. It wouldn't have been no. a good result. I, um, it's like a, that should be in the movie Casino. That that scene should be yeah. in there. <laughs> well, all sitting out there and then you guys just picturing a showgirl swinging is just. It's not, it's not as classy as, as like it you said, as Blue classy Dollar at all, I'm sure. I'm sure. But <laughs> I'm I, glad you're okay. Again, I like later, later on in that very same show that night, I remember a woman that I kept passing every time we had any reason to be out on the passerella. I got like a private little round of applause. Like she gestured like, oh, you made it. Oh, oh my gosh. And that would be really terrifying. If that woman. Oh my gosh. Well, if they're under waiting to see if you're going to land on them. Well, and I don't know if Jim Carrey could have caught both of you guys. He, I don't think he could. And I just thought, what a sweet That's a lot of momentum. Sure, but we would crush you. Please move it along. Please. <laughs> oh. if, if we're all in hospital beds, I'll feel really guilty. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah, were you, you in a, head, a showgirl headdress? What, was, what no, was your costume? No, luckily it was just a fall. Okay. Just a fall with a tiara. Uh, how typically um, Lido-esque. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, about a year later, I went to the Paris show. And was there only about 10 months, but I did during the summer, I did understudy for one of the principals. And at that time, the costumes were the same. At, I think they called the show Merci Beaucoup in Paris, but it was done by the same choreographer, Rich Rizzo. It was very similar. The open production was pretty much all the same music. And the opening number had um, Rhapsody in Blue. And so it was the three principals on stage. and. Uh, we had the same costume that they used in Lido and a big fall, like a, you know, a, a big flip fall. Yeah. And the intro of that, I had a huge cape on that had a velvet cape with a huge fur collar and a boy's supposed to grab it from you. You're in passe PK and you're just about ready to start. And he whisked the cape off of me, except that my foot, my heel caught in the shoe. And I just did a face plant right oh there. My God right there on the front of the stage oh. and the two other principals are there and i i'm i'm dying i'm thinking i'm never going to get over this embarrassment and the flip the 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 wig flipped over my tiara and there was hair hanging over my <laughs> face and um i remember i get to center stage and i i catch into the routine and um the company manager was a lovely man by the name of Pierre. I want to say his last name was Rombert, but I yeah, mean, Pierre Rombert. Yeah, that's him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Pierre is cracking up and I'm <laughs> dying inside and there's hair hanging over my face and I can't get it unhooked from my tiara and thinking, okay, uh, okay this is like the next worst thing that's happened to me. <laughs> um but it's just those, the those costumes are so big the props are so they big there's big. just of course there's gonna be disasters okay. in hello hollywood hello i was a tall nude and i was in night and day which is the big black and white feather fans right. uh-huh. with the so one night that seek that rhinestone dress is so heavy the hook fell off or it broke and the whole dress just you could hear it go whoosh because it's so heavy <laughs> so even though i was a tall nude i was supposed to be tall nude then so I'm trying to lift it up and it was and then the, i think it was two nights later with the fans I grazed my fall and I have my arms in this position. I look and my wig is hanging it's in hanging. the fall from the feathers. <laughs> so it's like, well, of course this is going to happen. You put a tiara and a Something feather. Something happens. It's, it's going to happen. 
two shows a night, six nights a week, something's going to happen. <laughs> and it's going to help me happen every person in the show. Those are the odds. I, I don't know if it's fair to tell this tale. It's somebody else's tale, but we laughed about it. And and poor girl, Greta, was a pony at in at the MGM Grand. And at some point, and this must have been about 1984, they started doing covered shows on Sunday brunch shows like where yeah, I heard you bring that. your children to the show and I remember um she was married to a drummer in the show and she was a pony and she forgot to put her bra on um for during the covered <laughs> show and the poor thing was so mortified that she we laughed about it because we said oh this is tits for tots <laughs> I, I think I think um oh my gosh Jilly, Jilly let her go home. I think that she was so mortified that like during the coverage show, she was the one girl who forgot to put her bra on. I, I'm sure it happened another time where, you know, right. you, I wonder so if the, used the to doing your um, Yeah. Just like, yeah. Forever. We sort of teased Greta about whoops. <laughs> you forgot it was the one coverage show. Stuff happens. Oh I mean, gosh. In fact, we looked forward to nights where things would, I don't know if you, you ever got to that point where you looked for things to happen because it alleviated the boredom. Right. Um, you get something to, to yeah, have that, as a like, story. Yeah. Yeah. But so where did you, where did you grow up? And it's like, now I, I want to so, go back and see how you ended up in those, those shows. Okay. So I grew up in Los Angeles. I'm, I'm still living in the same zip code that um, I grew up in, in Hollywood. Um, my dad was an actor and and so we lived here and I remember when I got the job my dad just said well please don't catch a cold um, referring to the fact that well it's Vegas you can be scantily clad (laughs) so happy to like actually have what I thought was an entrance to show business in some form. Did you, but, did you have your eyes set on being a professional dancer or when did I that? Did. I, well, I was going to school when I got hired, I was going to UCLA to get what at the time I never thought about. I just, I knew my parents wanted me to get a degree. I was a history major, have never used it, but I was so excited because, you know, I guess from the age of 19 to 20, I, I tried to hit all auditions here in Los Angeles. And I just thought, I'm never going to get a job. Now, I want to say, I think I was a good dancer. I may not be fabulous, but I was a good dancer. But being really tall, I think, was a deficit to trying to find TV work. or And there just wasn't that much. But, you know, movies and TV, if you're 5'11", 5'11 and a quarter, mm finding men dancers that you're not taller than. So Vegas kind of was like, oh, I can work there. Okay, all right, at least it's work and I'm putting all those ballet lessons and jazz lessons to use. So it was like, okay. And I, I dropped out of school and danced for three or three or four years, came back, finished up my last year at UCLA and then moved back to Reno and are, I think, What got me back to Reno, I got a job working for the Hilton, um, rehearsing um, the Hilton International in Las Vegas because they had a show running at, um, I guess it was Harris. It's so long ago. And um, rehearsals rehearsals were held in Reno. And that's where I sort of met my, I, I dated the guy who I ended up marrying. But, you know, a few months later, sort of reunited. And by the end of rehearsal period, it was like, 
we're going to live together. I mean, th this is, this is going to happen. So I went off and did the Moulin Rouge for about six months or so, and then moved back to Reno to be near my guy. And um, Jillian uh, Rochelle said, sure, you can come in with the next contract. So I did and stayed for a few years. And I loved Reno. I thought it was a great place to live. Yeah. Uh, but when I got there, I was so like disappointed. I don't know what I thought, but I was glad to get out of Vegas, but there's so many of the British girls that kept complaining about how they didn't like it. And they met like English, like stagehands and other, they ended up living there and they're still there. And I think they're I went back there. to Reno. I go, Reno is actually more charming than I remember it being. I think when I was young, I just wanted to go do everything. Yeah. So yeah. I want to go back. How did you, um, audition for the leader. Did you move to Vegas to audition oh, or how did you know? No, um, I'd never heard of Bluebell. I knew nothing about it. I think I had auditioned once for the Tropicana and the manager flew us out. I, I remember thinking, oh, this is too exciting. They, they flew us out to audition on stage between shows at the Tropicana. And that was really? my only other experience. I didn't get the job for whatever, probably because I was really flat chested to be truthful. But the Tropicana is um, a little more buxom, isn't and it? Absolutely. Cause I remember seeing the show and, um, but I wanted to, at that time I was too shy. I was like, no, I want to be a covered dancer. But I remember sitting, watching the show thinking like, oh my gosh, well, I'd have to buy a pair if you know. <laughs> and I didn't yeah. get the job. And then I heard about an audition for the Stardust and it was held at the Beverly Hills hotel. And there, there, I, I remember, let me think about this. It, it was held at, the, there were auditions. Um, uh, the company manager was Michael Pratt. There were auditions at Roland Dupre's on Thursday. Oh, yeah, I remember that, studio. yeah. And I remember, I can't remember if Don Arden was there, but Bluebell was there and Michael Pratt gave the combination and asked to see us all walk, asked to see us do Shanae's across the floor. Now, can you do, I, I can't, you know, show us turns, do us this. And Michael was very complimentary, like, oh, you're, you're the best, honey. You're, you're, you're going to be fine. You're going to be great. And leaving the audition and thinking, oh, well, they were really nice, but nobody said, we think we want you back to a callback or anything. And the next day I got the call and they said, can you please come over to the Beverly Hills Hotel? Um, Madam Bluebell is in a room and I remember um, going and they asked right then and there, can you sign a contract? <laughs> wow. Do, do you know a name? Um, her name was um, Beverly. Um, she got married and her last name was Crockett. She was oh, Barbara, the, Barbara Beverly. Barbara Beverly. Yeah. I, See, I don't know her, but I know her name from I know her as Barbara, Barbara Crockett, yeah. but Barbara Beverly was there and I hadn't seen the show yet. And she came with Miss Bluebell to audition girls. And I remember meeting her there at this hotel suite. And I remember thinking, this is very weird to come to somebody's hotel room to sign contracts. But I, you know, called my parents and said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to Vegas and um, signed. And it seemed to me, I think that when we were all, the show was still running when we went into rehearsals, as I remember, and seeing the show and remember remembering the girl I met, Barbara, thinking, oh my gosh, that 
amazing, gorgeous woman on stage is the girl yeah. that I met in a leotard who was just so down to earth and sweet. But when she was on stage, it's like, wow, you can't take your eyes off of her. I've heard so many people say that about her. She had some kind of magnetism, yes. magic that, yes. that you could not not watch her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, um, I think we started rehearsals for the show in like October and opened um, the week before New Year's or, or, you know, kind of trial shows maybe between Christmas and New Year's. And um, yeah, it was all very new and exciting. And I, at the time, I, I want to say, I didn't think, I think I thought living in Vegas would be great. And it took me just a few months to learn to hate it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that part of it, I did not like. I did not yeah. like the desert. And I remember just thinking, oh, it's just so hot. Like by the time it hit summertime, I remember thinking, how does anybody survive here? And of course, I had a car that had no air conditioning. And it seems yeah. to me I drove from 7-Eleven to 7-Eleven buying Slurpees as my form of air conditioning. And oh, my God. Whatever, Just, but yeah, uh, I, I drove was. down from Seattle with a with a, a person was my roommate that we to audition, and the day we pulled into Vegas was 115, and I passed out getting a, a slushy because I was like so if hot. You're not used shit. to it; it's brutal. No, yeah. it's just so dry. And then the air conditioning is so cold, so you go from that extreme. Oh, one to the other. And it's so, I'm just so shocking I, on your system. There's no in between you go. From I think like, I had a cold the entire first summer that like once you, you, because you're sweating and, and it's hot and you're working hard on stage and then you go into air conditioning and then you come outside and it's 98 degrees, it's midnight. And then you go yeah. back into air conditioning. And I, I remember I had like a two month long cold that I could not shake because of the weather versus air conditioning. So when oh. your dad said, be careful, make, don't get a cold, he, a he meant cold. that you didn't have a cold. He really meant like, please don't go without a bra. I, I think that's what he was mortified to think that I would. And, and I don't even know if he'd ever been to Las Vegas. I don't think so. Did they know. ever come see you in the show? Yes, they did. How and was I, that? So I, I, to this day, I think how funny it was. Um, I want to say they didn't come to opening night, but they came, I think, within the first week or two of the show. And um, they got seated on the passerella and I was a covered dancer then. And I remember every time I passed him, I could see my mother going like pointing at me. There she is. <laughs> there she is. And my dad just looking all over. Like, which he, one? They all look the same. couldn't figure out which one I was and, and leave it to a mom to say, there she is. There she is. But clueless he didn't know. my my grandma came to see the show and i drew a map for hello hollywood like i'm in this number i'm on the the right wing third from the side you're on stage left so she, she i didn't know where she's gonna sit because the maitre d sat or asked to give her a good seat and uh-huh. they had those candles kind of like in the italian restaurants that are the glass with the netting uh-huh. and so i because we remember the scrim when the airplane comes up Right. I told her to take the candle and move it so I could figure out where she's moving. And so the scrims come up and I see this one candle circling and I go, oh, oh she's my grandma. She did it for most of the show. I don't think she realized that she did. I found her, but she said the way she found me is she could tell my, my butt and my grandma had never seen my butt before, but once she found my butt, she would find me in all the numbers. And so I'm like, I was hoping oh, it'd be about my face. Yeah. I was thought it'd be my face that she would recognize, but she's like, oh, I found you because your butt. <laughs> So, oh wow, well, yeah, maybe there's... she changed diapers a lot when you were. <laughs> no, I don't think she, I don't know what that was, but it was just kind of funny to have 
because I was tall nude. I remember watching my dad watch it with the, his eyes kind of oh. peeking through his hands to see his daughter topless. And I, yeah. both my parents were not thrilled that I took the contract, but then they saw the show and went, oh, this is beautiful. But it is hard to explain back home what it is you do when people have a preconceived well, idea. If, if you talk to people now, because I, I was just thinking we're old enough now where we knew what Vegas looked like and, and what I don't know if you did, but we used to refer to them as tits and feather shows. Yeah. But I told somebody who is like late forties. Oh yeah. I was a, I was a Vegas showgirl, And they go, Oh, like burlesque. And I said, no, was, I was yeah. a bluebell. It was classy. I mean, we didn't do incredible choreography per se, but it was classy. You might've been topless, but there was nothing salacious about it. It was yeah. so tame by today's standards. So, you know, it's nothing that, but I, I remember being prudish when I first, oh, I'd never go topless. A few months in, it was like, oh, I'd rather get the extra money. What, what's right. the big deal? It's all, you know, bijoux and pretty wigs and pretty costumes. And, but yeah. I remember being kind of prudish when I heard about it, like, oh, I would never, never do that. And then I got over that pretty quick. <laughs> I just remember even the dressing room of people just singing around with their tights only. I had never done it in the, in high school and the, in PE, I would always have my towel. Yeah. So to be just, people are just hanging out, you know, well, like that. So I go. got used to it, but it, I first, that first few weeks was just like, and boys would walk back there and seeing boys and G strings. It was just a yeah. lot at first. Then it becomes like, this is normal. Why would you not hang out half naked? You know, <laughs> I, you know, this uh, is, this is much easier. I remember my brothers going, Oh God, you were such a prude as a kid. And, and here you are in Vegas. And, and I thought, yeah, they were right. I, as a kid, I remember a, a show business thing. Um, my dad was in a show and my brother and I were standing in the wings. This was in San Francisco. And this guy was a pretty famous actor. His name was Cyril Richard. And so my brother and I are standing in the, the wings and this man runs off stage and drops all his clothes. And I think I was maybe 10 or 11, <laughs> just about fainted when that <laughs> happened because I thought, oh. I can't believe that happened. I had, I just hadn't ever been backstage to really yeah. be like, this is how it is. And, and after that, it was like, I still kind of thought, Oh my God, people do that. And, you know, a week into the show, pretty soon you're, you're standing in nothing but your, your G string and a pair of tights right. <laughs> not bothered by it. Yeah. It is interesting around. how that changes. It, it, I think it, it helped me when I came home too to lose some of that prudishness and, yeah. Oh, I, you know, I think there's something that a lot of us talk about being a showgirl is you felt beautiful. No one was grabbing at you. No one felt they could have you. You felt protected and you got to like feel good in your body without being, yeah. you know, you're yeah. inviting, inviting harm or something you don't want, or I don't know, there was something empowering. And I think just doing it together was, was also, we're, yeah. we're a collection of bodies, not just I'm <laughs> inviting. Well, so it was high art. No. Yeah. And <laughs> I, I think it's it hard to explain art, to people. It, it, yeah, yeah. That stage was art, but yeah, the on stage when you put those gorgeous costumes on. Yeah. So how long did you do the Lido, the Stardust? Um, I want to say I worked there for about a year and a half. And then I, I, it was audition time. And I remember asking Miss Bluebell, could I go to Paris? And she said, yes. Oh, wow. And she said, yes. So I remember, um, I want to say it was about April or May when I arrived and it was so cold and rainy. And I'm thinking to myself, gosh, April in Paris, that famous, uh, is it a April in Paris? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was pouring rain and cold and awful. And I remember 
coming in to see the show and thinking, wow, the tall nudes are so beautiful. They must pay. They must pay for everybody to go to a tanning salon. And so I just arrived that day. Uh, Bluebell said, please be here and you'll see the late show or you'll, you'll come to the early show and go backstage between shows. And what I didn't realize um, most of the people working were British and all those British girls that had white, 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 white skin. Well, the cover dancers were all white, but if you were nude, they passed out pancake makeup every night or, you know, if you, you, whatever you need makeup, the nudes all had to wear pancake, total pancake all over your body. But the illusion from outstage was like, oh my gosh, they're all so beautifully tanned and impeccable. Well, they had pancake over their entire bodies. And I, I remember thinking, oh, it looks really cool from uh, the audience. A couple of weeks into it, it's like, oh my God, we're breathing all this orange dust was on all oh, of yeah, yeah. the entire dressing room for the nudes had a layer of orange pancake on everything. And you'd have and the to shower you know, too. Remember the shower they before like by the drain, it would just be like that orange stuff going yeah, orange to stuff. And yeah, it was a probably terrible shower. for the skin. I'm sure, but I remember thinking my first, my, before I even got to rehearse for the show, like, oh, look how beautiful they look. And then you realize when you get backstage, ooh, all the costumes have orange residue on them. Yes, yes, yeah. Oh, you're breathing that, you're breathing it, you're wearing it, it's just everywhere. But it looks great. It looks beautiful. I think that Paris might've been the only one that did full body makeup, at least from what I've heard. I don't think Reno and Vegas but I also no, remember spraying no. hairspray. We would spray hairspray, perfume. We were toxic. And that's those dressing rooms just spraying all that crap. Just yeah. like we breathing were young. Nobody thought about, I mean, we're all fine. People, we're smokers too. Um, oh, I know. That was yeah, bizarre. These expensive Dude. costumes with people smoking and drinking coffee. And yeah, that's like, that's yeah. usually a no-no backstage. You don't drink or eat do near your costumes. Did you, how did you like Paris? Like living there once the rain maybe subsided? <laughs> Oh, I, I loved it. I had a good time. And by about 10 months in, when it got cold again in the winter, I was ready to come home. I was homesick. Um, I think I'd had one French boyfriend. and I, It was just really hard. I didn't speak French well enough. I should have stayed. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry now. In hindsight, I wish I'd stayed longer so I would have picked up more of the language, I think. Um, but for the first few months, I loved it and had a lovely time. Um, but it was it was sort of lonely because I didn't really I didn't relate to I didn't want to date stagehands or I think I, I had I met a Frenchman um, and of course he was off to a job in the morning I'd get off work at, at I, it seemed to me the shows were late I don't think we finished until like 1:30 in the morning and you know so he was sound asleep when I get off of work and you know by the time we had dinner in the evening I'd be leaving you know, leaving him saying, I got to go to work now. And we, we just like maybe get into dinner. It's like, oh, I got to go nine o'clock show. I have to be there. And so it was really hard yeah. to, it wasn't a place geared for whatever show business. Um, yeah. But, and then again, I wasn't, I was a California girl come November weather. I wasn't used to really cold, rainy weather. I didn't, I wasn't set up for it. And I remember I was living in, um, outside of Paris, it was like a 20 minute walk mm-hmm. to get to the 
Metro, the, the RER to take a train in. And I remember thinking, it's cold, it's dark. I miss California. I miss, you know, I miss home. I want to go home. So I didn't stay long enough. I should have stayed longer, but whatever, I didn't. And I, I came back and went back to school in January and finished that last year of college. You and did. Finished. And then I didn't know what to do except go back to dancing after that. It's like, well, I, I don't know what I'm, I'm geared to do now. I, I don't want to work in an office and I don't have a teaching credential. So, but I could dance again. So I did. How did you get back into it? Where did, did you um, audition wanna, or contact people? Um, let me think about this. Um, yeah, I, I think that I, I auditioned for a Ronnie Lewis show. I yeah I I I think I can't remember if I went to an audition or I just called trying to think how did I get up into Reno it was um I think I might have just called Bluebell or whatever my connections and find out where could I go and I ended up being offered a job and went to Reno and for hello Hollywood hello I loved it. I learned how to ski that first year. We weren't supposed to. I know. I remember. I think it was the contract. I think you were like, don't do it. But I think I signed up for a class through the university. And it seemed to me there were a lot of people that were skiing. I mean, yes. God forbid anybody. You're by Tahoe. How do you not? Yeah. And it was beautiful. And I really liked it. Um, Again, getting used to cold weather. But this time I was prepared for it. Yeah. I bought a cheap parka and wore it to bed. I was like the first, first snowfall. It was like, I think I, I lived in that parka for six months straight. Because you, know? you went from nice, pretty in between in California to Vegas, extreme heat, and then cold. Yeah, That's a yeah, lot. The desert is not my, I'm, I'm not, so many people leave LA now to move down to the desert. Uh, that won't be me because I, yeah. I can't handle it. But um so yeah, I've been thinking about yeah what fun it was. It was um, I feel like when I went to UCLA, I missed out on the college experience. It was like going to a job because I never lived on campus. But getting a job and working as a dancer was like my sorority, like having girlfriends and and that that was like a, a whole growing up experience. Yeah, you know, maybe, maybe later than because I was twenty when I got the job. Um, remember turning 21 in Las Vegas and going out to gamble, like going into the casino. And I think, I, I think a group of us went and blew like $40 on $5 slots. Like they just, <laughs> but once I turned 21, I was like, that's what we're doing. We're going to go into the, the casino, gamble and have drinks in there now that I'm legal and I can do it. Anyway, I don't even know if they carded. I'm thinking in 79, because we had our, we'd all go out together and have our lashes. I remember going to the pepper mill for oh, drinks yes. and never being carded, never even now, you know, it's very different. But back then I think, oh, you must all be 20 or maybe they didn't care. Or it wasn't quite so strict care. for it the bar a, owners. It was a lawless state. <laughs> right. Just don't mess with the mafia. How, how was your time in Reno? Like a, as far as the show, was it, was it good to be back dancing again or did it lose any of its luster? No, I was really happy and excited to be back working again. Um, and again, I, oddly enough, um, my, one of my years at UCLA, I took a, a, a history of jazz music. And I tell people that changed my life because I really got interested in jazz. I think I stopped listening to pop music somewhere in 1980 or something. And um, 
I met my husband there and it was like, oh, somebody who is a dedicated jazz musician and um, whatever. Can I, you I, tell, can you tell how you met him? Cause I like what you said about not knowing there oh, were musicians in the show. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, I was, when I think about it, it's ridiculous that I didn't quite understand. Of course there had to be musicians because you have, you have acts between the, the production numbers. Well, those people have to have live music because things change. Things are different. Uh, you know, if um, Hans and Maureen, you know, if he shot something yes. and it missed her or God forbid he did hit her, they'd have to be able to stop the music. But I didn't realize, I thought it was all on click track. I, you know, the stage yeah. was so big and downstairs, the basement was cavernous. I didn't realize that there was a band room with like 17 pieces, 17 guys playing music with headsets on. They're watching monitors. And, and it finally, one day I, I realized I can see a guy in there conducting and it was like, oh my God. Oh, I think I've been <laughs> here six weeks and didn't realize that there were musicians that went with the show. Cause I'd worked at the Stardust where you could see the band. They were above the stage. You could see. Oh, interesting. And when I worked in Paris, they, it's funny, they were, I guess also they could see the stage from whatever booth they were in, but they had, I guess, a small orchestra, but the MGM had 17 guys. And uh, anyway, I met my husband. Um, I, I would, we, we called them crinolines, those huge, um, I'm trying to think, it was probably San Francisco number had huge, big, fluffy dresses with hoop skirts, large. Yes, skirts. yeah, yeah. And yeah. they'd suspend them down in the basement. And I'm yes, down right. and do a workout, like do my exercises. And I met my husband who was practicing guitar, like sitting down somewhere under under cautions to find a quiet place to practice out of the band room where guys were talking and smoking and drinking coffee or whatever. And we got talking and um, kind of met and and fell in love, whatever, started going out. That. There was a, a jazz, um, I want to say the MGM bordered on Sparks, if you yeah. on, the, yeah. on the town of Sparks. And it seemed to me there was a jazz club, an after, an after hours jazz club. And I, I would kind of go out to hang out and hear music and, you know, started dating this guitarist. And well, as I say, 40 some odd years later, we're still hanging out. He's still playing guitar. And, Did you um, wait? Was there a gap in between you met him and then you went? Yeah. Then you would. You know, my, my, okay. I remember my dad had passed away in January of 82. And I remember thinking, I'm going to go back to LA. My mom was sort of depressed. And, and I thought, you know, I'll go back and hang out and, and see that she's okay. And I, I kind of moved back home in April when the contracts ended. And I, I want to say come June or July, um, she seemed okay again. You know, she had was sort of, my dad was, I think, 64. They were 64 when he passed away and she looked like she was in shell shock, but she came out of it. And I thought, well, I'm going to go back to work. And I auditioned for the Moulin Rouge. There had been an edition of Moulin Rouge at Harris, I think it was, in Reno. And so I auditioned for a new show opening in Las Vegas at the Hilton, um, the Hilton International on Paradise, I think it is. So I thought, okay, I got this job. I can go. Um, and rehearsals were on the stage at Harris. 
while their show was still running, we had daytime rehearsals and then we moved down to Vegas to rehearse for a couple of weeks before the show actually opened. Um, and that that was that was a different experience. There was a uh, the choreographer was a guy named um, Walter Painter. It was a cute show, and it had I remember thinking. Um, so I got hired as a tall nude for that, and um, I remember thinking that, um, gosh, I don't want to do the can can. <laughs> I've heard it's brutal, brutal, it's brutal, brutal because every morning rehearsal started with a can-can rehearsal and they brought in the guy who apparently had choreographed the can-can for the Paris version. Yeah. He had choreographed the one for the Reno version and everything, all those jump splits and high kicks were all on the right leg, only the right leg. Yeah. And every day. And I swear like within six weeks of the show opening how many dancers had sciatic problems and i remember the week before the show opened they said guess what tall nudes are not going to do this you guys are doing a um i think it was a hey big spender number like a, a strip number where your dress falls off kind of thing and i remember thinking oh thank god <laughs> it seems to me oh, oh hold on hold on we got a dog up oh, get out can you sure. <laughs> All right. Stop it. Stop it. Hold on. I have dog, Sherry. <laughs> it's funny. I can't see the dog. I only see your reaction to the dog. Out. Out. Go. Out. Out. Both of you. Go. I don't know what instigated that. But <laughs> Mine is fast asleep next to me. He's so uh, bored with interviews at this point. Well, go. Poppy, go. So yeah, everybody knows me. I'm the dog lady. I collect. Okay. Dogs. Yeah. We're good company. Yeah. Yeah. My dog barks and almost, he hasn't barked yet today. Usually if the Amazon delivery comes in, it's like, he'll just bark so loud right by the microphone. I'm like, so sorry, but he's part of the deal. Yeah. Well, you try to keep him out of the room. Then they work too hard to get in the room and make just as yeah. much noise well, that's trying it. to they, be where I you are. Because they were scratching at the door and I thought how disruptive. I'm sorry. Oh, we're fine. We're fine. My cat meows. I, a lot of people have, uh, there was one I did. It was a group one, like a panel. And there was five of us. Everybody's dog would start barking. So we, they would mute themselves. And the next person talked to them, their dog. And pretty soon our dogs were barking at each other um, oh, because no. they were hearing each other in the zoom thing. And it was, it was like chaotic. And it was just funny at that point. Like, okay. We, the dogs have won. The humans just have to be quiet and let the dogs have their say. The dogs talk. Well, and now these two are giving each other the evil eye through a glass door. <laughs> so when you, yeah. when, did you guys stay together after you left Hello Hollywood? And that, and did you, how did, well, what did you decide? I think you'd said something before so, we recorded about age too. Like at 30, you just think you're supposed to be done. Like, why um, did you end doing well, the shows? Um, I, you know, something, I mean, I just really didn't know. I, I stopped my husband what got us back to Los Angeles. So now um, I want to sell, let me, let me think about these dates. Um, we had ended up leaving Reno uh, to work in Las Vegas because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think um, work had dried up for my husband. He'd been in the, I think he spent six years at the, the house band for hello Hollywood. And left that job. I think he worked at Harris for a short while that dissolved. And it, we kind of came to the conclusion, there's no work in Reno for him. Let's mm. go to Vegas. And I got rehired as a swing dancer for the Moulin Rouge because 
I want to say um, the company manager, I'd worked there before and he said, sure, you can come in and cover vacations for, I think I did it for like six months. Um, my husband was working for Vic Damone, if you remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you know, as an accompanist. Um, and he was working at, so Vic Damone was the headliner for the Moulin Rouge. So he was, at, so I was working dancing in the show and he was doing the, the headliner act as an accompanist. Oh, wow. And so we did that for a while. And then, um, and, and by then I was like, oh God, I hate Vegas. I hate Vegas. I want to get out. Um, and he auditioned for Engelbert Humperdinck. And he got the job, but they said, you have to be stationed in LA. You cannot be out of Vegas. You know, and I guess Ange either lives in Los Angeles, but you need to be homed in Los Angeles. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's move. So we moved back here in 1986. And I didn't know what to do. I mean, I think I auditioned for a few things, but didn't get anything. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm now 29, 30 years old. I got to I got to think about what do I, so I got an office job and spent the next few years learning how to do that. And um, how was that? Was there, was there any grieving of that or was it just, yeah. I mean, this I is... was kind of like, okay, well, this is reality. This is what you. <laughs> end up yeah. Doing. I had so much fun playing and now it's over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, in a way, yeah. It was like having, you know, an extended childhood in a way. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I, you know, I just didn't trust that, uh, um, you know, I wasn't cut out. I wasn't ready for rejection, frankly, like, like going to auditions and not getting them. It was really depressing. And I thought yeah. it's time to shift gears. And so I, I want to go back to something you said too, because we talked about before we didn't talk after about the, the meat scales that Rosenthal had the stardust dancers. Oh. Cause you were talking about one girl who was always worried that she's gonna get fired because yeah. her weight. But can you tell that part? Because I, yeah. I don't know if it's been on the interviews before about that because it's in the movie and it's it's terribly humiliating. It's yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to think like how soon after the show opened, I think Frank Rosenthal really liked tall, skinny girls. And um, and so, and I don't remember, I'm trying to think, was there anybody that you would think was overweight? No, but I, and, and, and a really cruel act of saying, we're going to have weekly weigh-ins on Friday nights between shows, you will get weighed. And the whole company would come downstairs from the dressing room and you had to step publicly onto a meat scale and get weighed. And so I can't remember how long that lasted, but um, I remember several months later, the company manager, Pat Merle, coming upstairs and saying, Oh my God, I just saw one of the principal dancers shading her ribs with brown shades so that they would look prominent. Like, look how skinny I am. Right. My ribs are sticking out. And 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 again, <sighs> nobody that I knew there seemed like they were overweight. Like it was just, it was just I think about it and think it was a power trip, an ego thing. Absolutely. And, and so once really, you get through those hard, hard auditions out of many hundreds of people you get chosen you think you could relax and I don't in hello Hollywood we, did, we didn't have that I never thought about my weight if I can fit in my costume but I did other shows because now you're worried about it and then if you are getting older now you've got I have my weight and my age instead of like you made it you're here you're fine it just adds this element of um fear and rejection absolutely 
But, you know, what I loved about working in Reno, it was like a family town. I think a lot of, so many of those British girls came and they stayed. And uh, so many people, it was, it was just normal life and fun. So many people had families, like girls got pregnant, had kids, came back to the show. That, that was a thing. I, mean, yeah. I guess if I'd stayed in Las Vegas long enough, I would have seen that too. But I just... The, the desert was not my, Reno was enough of a desert, but you could go up to the mountains within minutes. Yeah, that was nice. it And the change of seasons and all that. I'm going to be in Reno next month. <laughs> One of the girls I've interviewed that was at the Lido in Paris, then she went to a show in Vegas and it closed. And then now oh. she got hired at the El Dorado. So there's a show in Reno at the El Dorado. I think it's a decent sized show. It's not really showgirl really? I've heard, but I've heard it's good. So I'm going to catch up with a few. I don't know if you know Gina Kasky. I'm going to Karen Burns. I'm going to reach out to whoever is out and available in Reno. Karen Burns. Wait a minute. She bought all the costumes, almost all the costumes from Hello Hollywood. She has them. She takes them out for events and um, education about the showgirl. Yes, I I see it on on Facebook. Um, I got to go in there in her where she stores them. And she took me through. She pulled out some of the costumes I wore. And it oh, was just cool. amazing to see them and to see these rows and nobody, get, you know, it's sad that they're not seen, but at least they're not burned up or we heard some of those costumes just were burned yeah. in the desert. Oh, so you've heard about that story too. I never understood that when I first arrived. Karen Fetter told me like it was, a, in, it, was, it was about paying duty or paying something to bring it back to Paris uh-huh. would cost more than it was worth. And so they would go on the desert and they had to have someone witness it. I don't know if it was an auditor or something that would witness that they burned them. Crazy. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these beautiful costumes just put the Lido in Paris right now because they sold it. There is a warehouse that one of the uh, dressers videotaped just huge amounts of costumes. They're so beautiful and they're down where no one can oh. see them. They should be in a museum. Like these they things should be need to museum. be preserved, but it's sad that like these beautiful costumes, I mean, they're still look in great shape. They were so well made that they're not falling it, but there might be a lot of pancake inside those. Oh, well, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. There's an orange inside, okay. which was interesting. When I went to Lido, I did a backstage tour when I was there last year. Uh-huh. And it was interesting. Like it was, I don't know if you know, Kate Vanderleet. Oh, it yes. was a G string that she wore in Paris and it had her name in there. So it's just weird to think how many names or for how many generations, because they brought a bunch of those costumes back for the uh-huh. end of the show. So there was things from the eighties. And some, there was oh, wow. uh, Savannah, her mother, Karina had been in the show. And so Savannah was wearing her mother's costume from uh, a few decades yeah. before. And it's like, it's all those names are in those costumes. Like your name is probably somewhere oh, in a costume. You know what I miss? I, th- I don't know why I thought of this. Do you remember Hermes sandals? Oh my gosh. Yes. I have a pair somewhere. They smell awful, but I have them. <laughs> I was thinking, oh, they don't even make them anymore. I'm no, sure. that's why I was like, I'm glad I saved them. They're flat. They didn't have, you couldn't really, you could point, but they're pretty hard to. I think I, I, I broke my foot at, um, oh, I was under, I did do something stupid. I was <laughs> late for a number during the African number at the Lido. And I was running to get on stage and I jumped down some stairs in those flat Hermes and broke my fifth metatarsal. But I didn't know that at the time. And I got on stage and, you know, plastered the smile on my face and went home later that night and, and thought, oh, I don't know. It'll probably be fine in the morning. And I, I couldn't walk the next day. And oh, yeah, and I, I, it's funny. I was thinking, but I love those sandals. You can't buy them anymore. I mean. They're terrible. And yeah. we all danced in them. Yeah. And 
I remember having fond memories of those were the best dance shoes. I love those. And, you know, with the, when you went to the shows, they didn't have straps anymore. They all just had elastic. Oh, they and, did. Yeah, Cause those well, kind of dug into your skin. Those hurt. They, well, probably cause you still had the real, the real leather straps, but it seemed to me by the time I got to the Lido, they had stacks of them with just the dressers laced them up with elastic bands. So you could get them off and on quickly. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm sorry. That was a, I have all no, these. No, no, this, this, see, this is interesting. All of us. Of, oh, yeah. cool tricks. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know if it was uh, MGM, but it was somewhere. Maybe it was when I did musical theater. You would take your character shoes in that you okay. own, not the ones they gave you. And they take the T-strap out and they put elastic and sew it on. So you yeah. don't have to mess with the stupid mess buckle in a fast change. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it was on the cruise ships that all of our shows had replaced the buckle with the strap and you could change like that. Because when you're going, trying to go fast, trying to get that little tiny see these are the things that other people in the shows will totally get this part of the interview like somebody oh, showed a picture of the white towel with a blue stripe and all of us went i oh, remember those towels exactly. like there's, there's the things of the backstage like oh man now i can feel backstage i remember what it looks like because it's a picture of a towel like the things okay. that were just I'm so standard you, if, years and years after dancing i would still have a reoccurring dream about losing the hair at the top of your head because all those heavy hats and heavy things all had combs in them and I right. had repeated nightmares of waking up and finding that I'd lost all the hair I mean I might have thin hair anyway but just being bald because of all the hats with the combs and I'm thinking I remember having a lot of broken else hair. Had those dreams no I actually asked that and a lot of people I've interviewed talk about their dreams I've not heard that one that's a good one because I do remember having broken hair Oh, because you'd, you'd, you'd slick it back and then you did top of your fishnets. I don't know if you did that, right? Just uh -huh. kind of hold it. And then the comb goes through that with probably slicked with hairspray. But people talk about uh, the dreams of, I can't find mine's usually, I can't find my headdress. Somebody's moved it uh -huh. or the music, music is on. I don't know the number or I had I one that I was on roller skates day. and I, there's I, people. I've yeah. forgotten or I was supposed to be at rehearsals three days ago and I can't find my way back to town or I can't. I yeah. Yeah, I went skiing and I can't, I can't, oh my God, I don't remember any of the choreography that I was supposed to know by Sunday night and I don't, or those reoccurring dreams. I also like, I, I also have the college ones, like I ditched this class all semester and now finally tomorrow. <laughs> I also have that one to this very day. I went, cause we talked about with this with someone how, like one girl was really sad, like she's in the wings and here's music, but she doesn't get to go on. And hers was kind of about the grieving. Oh. Um, I, I can hear the music, but I don't get to be a part of it. And I think a lot of the ones I think of, it's like, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing, but I don't like, well, you know, the choreography, I'm like, actually, I don't, um, I, but I it's, a, I think it's in my, you realize you can't. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's something I'm going into my life. Like I really am supposed to know what I'm doing, but I really don't know. So maybe when we're fe feeling that either imposter syndrome or I'm not prepared, like, you know, you're, I can't find my place. I had one, I was in roller skates and I had to get on the airplane wings in roller skates. I'm trying to like roller skate to get on stage, to get on the plane. That one's ridiculous, but I think it's like my, life must've just felt like totally I, out, out of control. control. <laughs> I'm out of control. Things are out beyond my reach. I know yeah, whatever. Yeah. And I think cause that's her formative years. And that's like uh, Miranda Coe. I interviewed her. She's talking about, we think in technicolor in that time in our life, our memories are more colorful. Uh -huh. And that, and that's probably, you know, everybody's life, but in the show we were in, it was all technicolor and glitter. So it's interesting that our dreams go back to that time. I don't have dreams about stuff from a few years ago. It's like that intense time of 
coloring well, yeah. your form big years you're becoming an adult you're becoming who you will be for the next 30 years or or, or well, let's put it this way intense change happens in your early 20s through up to about 30 and then life sort of settles down and it's slow progression from there yeah yeah it's not like every six months i'm in a different country doing a different thing with new people and yeah so oh, did, what did you do after you came home did you you didn't do your history major no, um, I worked for a nurse's registry. I got really into yoga, did uh, manage a yoga studio for a little while. Nice. Um, for the last, well, I'm, I'm now more or less COVID came. I was teaching kids ceramics. I, I got into ceramics and, and learned to be oh. a potter and did that for a while. And only huh. had one child. I'm, I'm the mother of one. Um, for a quick while, I, I sang, I, I, my husband and I would do some gigs together. I, I learned to sing. Oh, I, can wow. thank, I can thank Reno. You may have interviewed. Oh my gosh. Let me think of their names. Oh, I can't. Oh gosh. Was it a married couple? No, it was uh, two guys that started a little theater group, Frank and oh, shame on me. Speaking of things that don't, you know, the memory banks aren't fully right. But they did a community theater show of Chorus Line, and they managed to get it produced on the MGM stage. And I remember thinking, wow. I can't sing, but gosh, I really would like to audition for that. And at that time, my husband said, you can sing, go, go audition. And I remember, um, I want to say Liz Elliott got the, the lead part in it. Um, Cassie? Yes, Cassie. And I'm trying to remember uh, one of the boy dancers played the producer, but because they did that community theater thing. And after I left Reno, I understand they did a few more productions, um, but I, I auditioned and they said, Oh, you have a beautiful voice. You can sing. You can have the part of BB. You can do that. Um, um, oh yeah. Everything's beautiful at the ballet. Yeah. So for a while there I was singing and working with my husband, trying to get gigs and realized wow, that's really hard. You have to do a whole lot of begging for very little money, you know, like calling club owners and restaurants and yeah. saying, can we book in, you know, whatever. Did that for a short while, then, you know, got pregnant, had a baby, whatever. Did all these things in my life, but, you know, blowing through life sideways. Um, trying <laughs> to figure out. How, did you into, how did you get into this podcast thing? Have you been in? I went to the, re I went to the Hello Hollywood reunion I yeah, just had my hip replacement. I showed up in a walker with an, an pain medication. The first, the reunion we had, I think 2015. And then I went to the global one in Paris in 2019. I was just listening to everybody's stories. I'm like, I was starting to really listen to podcasts. I'm like, uh -huh. this is a great way to tell stories. And it was kind of just in the back of my mind. But then when COVID hit, I just thought about doing it. And I didn't know how to, I don't know anything about technology. I figured out Zoom and my daughter goes, do the part you like, I'll help you. So she's the one that puts it up on the iTunes and Spotify and helps me with that. So yeah. I just had to figure out Zoom, but I'm loving it because I've done, I think I've done 170 and everybody's Whoa. is really different. It depends on what generation you did or if it's Paris, but we all kind of have a similar story, but I'm still That's never not in awe of every person's story. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I'm now like, I want to say now I have to go start listening or, or get to your podcast because I'm thinking, uh, I wonder what happened to so-and-so and I wonder what happened. Yeah. We did find out a lot of that. Like you'll hear somebody's story and find out someone passed. Right. Like I, uh, 
I, I, I think it was Miranda I went to the Cone. Reno reunion. Um, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I, no, I, that's wanted, okay. I went to the one and I think it was 2012 in Reno. Um, yeah. Mitch, yeah. Mitch Rashoe had just passed away. Were you, did you go to that? I think there was, I mean, like, it, I, I think it wasn't that far back. I think it was 2007. So there might've been a seven, there, I think there's nothing. It was 2017 or 18. Okay. But Jillian told that story that he was, he it was right after he passed and he was supposed to do the, when the lights for that and do something else. And he wasn't there. And it was obvious that he was missed. Yes. Gosh. And I, I'm sorry that I didn't go. I thought about going to the Paris one and it was like, oh, it's an extravagance. And, you know, I, I think I, for whatever reason, my husband had taught some classes. We didn't go because we'd been to Paris like the year before. And I thought, hey, you know what? It's, it's a lot of money, whatever. I'm not going to yeah. do it. But I'm sorry because I saw pictures, of course, on Facebook and, you know, Facebook, I'm, I'm sure is designed to create envy. Right. <laughs> like I just like, oh, I'm going to stop looking at it. I don't want to see everybody else having a wonderful time if I'm not having a wonderful time. Yeah. Hopefully we'll do another because Lindsay did a great job. And also we're just thinking that was right before COVID. Uh-huh. So we, if it would have been the year after, we wouldn't have been able to we do it. But I didn't even dance in Paris. I thought it was only for Alito. And they said, no, it's all bluebells. And I knew a few people, I Miriam. Uh, Alan and Kate Mayo and Rick just and Liz Elliott and Leslie. There's a few from Hello Hollywood, but I don't really oh, know well, that you many know, people. Um, I haven't kept in contact of late, and I need to call Robin um, Powell and Christy Nadernick live in Brooklyn. You probably met them there. Christy and uh, Christy have been doing ballroom dancing. I don't know if she's still doing it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you met her in Paris. Um, Cause it seemed to me, they just posted pictures last week because it had oh, been really? Robert's birthday. Um, and, and, you know, it's funny. I mean, we're all older ladies now and um, it's funny how everybody still poses. Everybody still does that um, oh, yeah. position pose. Yep. We're beveling in all our pictures. <laughs> it's just so weird how oh, we're still in our, in our brains. We're all older. We're wearing glasses maybe, uh, but in our brains, we're still we know that, that girl. Yeah. Well, it looks better pictures to pull up. So I have a question because we, we, here's where we're end. Mm-hmm. Um, from your time as a Bluebell, because you did three Bluebell shows, big ones. Yeah. What is it that you think um, stays in your life still from that time? You know, it's funny. I, I feel like all those dancers, dancers in general, I guess, but it's, it is like a sorority. It's, you know, you get talking to people and we start sharing stories and I feel like, oh, it's like being a girl again. It's just that like brings you right back to your youth. And um, I don't know, it was like the best time of my, I think about it and it's just like the time I was most excited about things. And yeah, I want to thank my mom who signed me up for dance classes as a kid. I, I, you know, it brings back memories of sitting in front of the TV and wanting to be a June Taylor dancer. I don't. Yes. Do, I remember June remember? Taylor. Yep. 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 Every time I'd see Vera Ellen on the screen, it was like, I want to be that. I want to be that. And, you know, of course that didn't happen. There was no movie musical thing going on, but whatever the, the bluebell connection. Um, I don't know. It was, it's huge. And it's hard to explain to people who are too young to get it. Like this person saying to me, Oh, like a burlesque show. No, it wasn't that it was not burlesque. It was, you know, pretty, pretty costumes, nothing salacious about it. Um, And uh, you know, other than 
some of the the weird stories of like Don Arden rehearsals and oh god I don't know if I want to go to rehearsal he's going to yell at me or or um whatever but but the 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 Matt I remember thinking Madame Bluebell was the most interesting person because she didn't talk much but she was very classy and yeah. um, and always dressed impeccably like you know, you know very ladylike yeah and telling myself yeah but she hires girls for these topless shows you know like what an interesting mix she is and then when I read her history um about hiding her husband yeah Paris, yeah I thought what an interesting life she had um Anyway, so I don't know. It's just this interesting sorority of women, and and there are what potentially thousands of us. I don't know, or at least certainly hundreds of us. There's that. I know that Karina Burgess, when I rec- uh, interviewed her, she was a ten thousand ten thousandth bluebell, and that no. was in the eight. That was in the eighties. So there's been many since then. Really, I don't. I think that might count Scala, but I'm just thinking, hello Hollywood, hello. If there was 150 in the cast. How many turnovers that was? Yes, just that show put out thousands. So yeah, yeah I was way way higher than I ever would have imagined. But I think this counting her tours too, like she did tours of Italy and okay, other but shows as, that the but as a bluebell, no. But like, of course, if you were a bluebell, then you have an entree to all those other things. Because she did have a blue bluebell had a tour that was her dancers that toured through Italy. Because I interviewed Elizabeth Phillips, who was eighty something now, but she did it when she was in her twenties that bluebell would take her troop on tours too. So that counts, I think is her count of how many bluebells there are. You've reminded me something. Um, Okay. When I worked in the States in Las Vegas, there were a lot of very good dancers who ended up in Vegas. Um, You know, all those hopefuls across the United States, a lot of good dancers. When I went to the Paris show, my first impression was this is interesting a lot of the the girls were so young and um a lot of them were british girls that i guess had gone to like rad they had mm-hmm. been oil or rda whatever they call it and i remember thinking they're not very good dancers but some of them were very pretty and just you know the bloom of youth like young girls but I remember making some mean comments to myself like some of them really weren't dancers and I'm trying to think why did Bluebell hire them well they were young and pretty and a lot of them didn't have to dance the choreography wasn't very challenging Um, and most of the principals were Americans oddly enough who could do jazz who who had better training um, or more training shall I say but I remember my first impression going was like wow, I would think being in Paris, but it was a whole kind of younger group of, of covered dancers who were not necessarily great dancers. But um, again, the show is spectacular and it, and it was an event. It was a cool thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. And we keep saying that we were just lucky to be born at this time in history to be able to yeah. do yeah. The, these shows. It's just kind of well amazing. If you want to be a dancer right now, it's a little bit harder to yeah. find your lane. Well, I don't know. I see things on TV. If you watch the Tonys the other night, I'm, I'm looking at dancers who, wow, how much they can do. Like you have to, right, be yeah. to do crumping and um, break dancing and ballet and jazz and gymnastics. Uh, you know, I, if you watch the Tonys, it's like, whoa, whoa, the talent. So um, there is opportunity. I get, yeah, there is opportunity. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's a little bit different, but there's always something for dance. Um, 
Edie, this was fabulous. Thank you so much. I'm so Um, glad you contacted me and I'm going to call Bill and say, that was a wonderful event in my life. Thank Thank you. you I think it's like a lot of people are a little nervous and they start talking and they go, yeah, that really was a special time. I think it's kind of helps bring us back to gratitude and some memories that will just know you're going to have some weird dreams. All that stuff's going to start coming back up. (laughs) I'm going to dig out some photos. Um, and please send them to me. Send me those. Just, um, you can do it in the the email. You yeah, scan it. I'll I'll scan it. Do my best to send you clear photos. Um, yeah. And all the photos I have from the opening of the Lido, the promo shots, they're all fading. There, it's kind of sad. I was like, oh, look at, I know that person. Yeah. Oh, the color is now fading. And it's like, uh, yeah, the oh. photo, the photo on they had that protective thing is kind of yellowing. It's a, and I'm like, yellow. there's no way to preserve. I'm like, I can oh. barely tell the color of costumes. I remember that like one costume was electric green and one was bright yellow. And, and in the photos now, it's like, oh, is that green or is that orange? You can't <laughs> tell anymore. Yeah. But um, oh, that's what I can. And yeah, um, just know that a lot of people's photos are like that. So we share them, and the good grainy stuff makes us know this is vintage this is antique time i'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm real vintage <laughs> it, it adds to that so thank you so much thank, and thank um, you and hopefully and one day we'll meet in person maybe at a person. reunion or something yes absolutely what a pleasure good to meet you and um yes i it's prompted me to get on facebook and contact people yeah it does make people kind of reach out again beautiful thank